0: The long rumored trade has finally come to fruition between Utah and Memphis. The terms of the deal, please, of Mr. LaRue.
1: The Memphis Grizzlies trade Mike Conley to the Utah Jazz in exchange for Jay Crowder, Kyle Corver, Grayson Allen, the 23rd pick in Thursday's draft, and then a future first round pick. And this is where things, I mean, obviously I'm a pick protection nerd, but it's pretty interesting the way that they structured this. So uh, Chris Harrington, I believe, was the first person who had it. I'll say when Memphis gets the pick, because I think that's easier to do. To explain it memphis gets the pick in 2020 if it is 8 through 14 same in 2021 8 through 14 then they get it in 2022 if it has not yet conveyed if it is 7 through 30 then 4 through 30 in 23 2 through 30 and then it converts the second
0: yeah and hopefully for utah's sake <laughs> we we don't get all the way to 2025 but so the import of that is that it will likely convey in 2022 which is that double draft year we think all of the reporting has indicated that although looks like the end NBA is still trying to extract concessions for the Players Association with some of this medical stuff, which again, the Players Association really has no reason to agree to, uh, unless the NBA offers more concessions uh, themselves, which they don't appear to do. It's starting to mirror the negotiations uh, for flattening the cap when the new TV deal came in, where the NBA just expects the league to do something or, or expects the players to do something without actually giving anything up. So let's start here from Utah's standpoint, what this does for them on the floor. And Conley, in his age 31 season a year ago, had the best season maybe of his career, highest usage, I think his second highest efficiency. Maybe you could say 16, 17 was the best season of his career, but he was outstanding and obviously excellent pick and roll player. Gets to the foul line a reasonable amount just by using some of the old veteran tricks, bumping into guys uh, off the dribble, throwing some stuff up. Has made himself into a fantastic shooter from the point guard position, both on a, and off the ball, which is really incredible when you consider how bad his his shooting was when he was drafted back in 2007 and still a solid defender not a switch guy but someone who can get over screens and with Rudy Gobert behind him he's used to playing with Marcus Gasol behind him he should fit right into their system defensively and so really a a guy who fits very well with Donovan Mitchell if they felt like they needed to get a point guard which it seems like they did Conley uh, was their guy and now uh, the Jazz hope to have one of the best backcourts in the NBA. Since
1: you brought it up i think this is an interesting point with conley shooting so this season his three-point attempt rate per hundred possessions was three times higher than his rookie year and double what it was his first five time in his first five years like part of that is where the league is gone but also it's conley's comfortability as a shooter shot 36 percent last year as you said on and off ball and i liked the way that uh tony jones framed this in his piece for the athletic talking about kind of the fit of him with donovan mitchell and so he said conley's never played with another backcourt player capable of averaging 25 points a night and Mitchell has never played with a point guard capable of carrying the offense and of course Mike Conley can do that and as a firm believer in the value of having two capable creators on a team with high stakes you know maybe not in the regular season I don't think that's necessarily as necessary but in the playoffs I really think that's true and Conley gives them a whole bunch of different ways to attack and if they face a switch heavy system where the basically the the whole concept of that is the defense daring utah to beat them one-on-one they have a second guy who is significantly better at doing that than anyone else they had on their roster
0: yeah i'm not sure he's good enough still (laughs) that uh, might that might
1: that might be true he's better than the other guys but that might not he might not be good enough if we're talking like conference finals type of stuff that's an interesting question
0: yeah if he was going against the old warriors and we're going to be referencing them a lot these days Uh, of (laughs) what that team used to be because i uh, just the style that they played was so especially defensively switching i mean they're really you know houston in theory is the only other team that's gonna be able to do that one through five switching but you know and even against houston i think you know conley going against clint capella eh, you know maybe uh but they've got gobert who can roll hard to the rim conley is a fantastic passer as well and don't forget utah created pretty good shots against the Houston in that series and just could not knock him down to save their life they're like 25 percent from three despite shooting 22 wide open threes per game in that series so Mike Conley at least in theory is going to knock uh, those shots down so certainly Conley is a talent do 32.5 million this year and $34.5 million next year in an ETO, which he, he could opt out of. In theory, maybe re with the Jazz. I'm very interested to see how he plays this year and whether he would want to opt into that or not, whether he's happy in Utah. But that does present a little bit of downside risk here for the Jazz. And I think overall, I'm probably not as excited about this for the Jazz as a lot of people. Are. I think there are some ways that this can go wrong. Now, that doesn't mean I wouldn't have done the trade, but people who are saying that Utah might be the finals favorite, I'm not going there yet we'll see what happens with the lakers we'll see what happens with houston's all, the, all these other teams uh even golden state if clay thompson can get back by the playoffs next year because i i think there's it, a couple of reasons number one potential injury for conley remember he missed a, a ton of time in two of the last four years with those achilles problems had to eventually uh, have surgery in the 17 18 season the tank year for memphis performance decline at age 32 certainly a, a major possible concern uh and then also who the hell is the four on this team now they have held on to favors he's non-guaranteed presumably he's going to stay maybe they could could look to move him instead or just non-guarantee him and use about 17 million in cap space which is what they have left over after this but because they had to take conley into cap space with this trade rather than just matching the salary that means that they now only are going to have the room exception available which is 4.7 million and then minimums to fill out after this so that is going to be difficult 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 to find someone as good as Jay Crowder was for them last year. Even though Jay was a streaky shooter, he could defend at the four position, space the floor enough at least to take a lot of shots where you thought he had to be guarded out there. And, you know, Jay wasn't a perfect player. You wish he could have made more shots. But with $4.7 million, I don't think they're going to get someone as good as him. And they really need, I think, uh, that last shooter. They have more shooting at point guard. That helps. But I don't think they're going to be playing like favors and gobert together at the end of games.
1: Right. And and I think that's the really important point to hammer home here is that while we can pretty well see what Utah's starting five is going to be, their closing five is is more murky. And that really matters because those crunch time minutes, you know, a lot of times that's what a coach really feels is their best lineup. And keeping favors, and to me there are parallels with this and like not including Kuzma in the in the AD trade, where it's like if you choose not to include that player, that means you're probably doing it to keep them same thing with Dante Exum not being in this deal and I'm a little bit concerned about what that means for the Jazz because as you said like they do need that player I agree with you and those players are in short supply and in heavy demand so Utah's room mid-level assuming they use all of that on a single player which they probably will that's not super enticing it's not bad and, and the Jazz could be a very good team but there are so many front offices that need that type of guy and a lot of them have more spending power many of them have more playing time to offer and so that sales pitch gets pretty tough and maybe they think i would disagree with this that george niang can do that you know he can shoot but i don't see the defensive chops which are so important if we're talking about the where the jazz want to go which is being a conference finals team potentially being an nba finals team and they also do not have a ton of resources to To get that player via trade, I mean, they they don't have a lot of filler salary, especially if they consider favor as a must keep. They don't really have a ton of draft assets at this juncture. So finding so they what they need to find is very hard to get, and they don't really have the the resources to throw everything else in that.
0: Now another issue too is backup wing. They've got. Royce O'Neal who's not guaranteed they're obviously going to keep him. he's been good and maybe you could say if O'Neal takes another step forward he did shoot it pretty well from free three last year but he's not a huge volume guy and also not sure if he's really the guy to check your bigger threes and fours you know if they go up against LeBron James who the hell is going to guard LeBron James in the playoffs uh, on this team uh, for example you know I mean that that's going to be kind of difficult for them but you know maybe sometimes they could play Ingles at the four and O'Neal at the three and close games that way uh but you know if they non-guarantee favors and they have 17 18 million or so to work with depending on where the cap comes in you know i think they could get a player who would fit better now then they would have a big hole at backup center but in theory that's easier to fill you know nikola miritich who's long been linked to the jazz yeah could, that's could one fit, i'd like could fit in there i mean again he's not at some great shakes defensively either but uh he, he's at least you know probably better than niang is from an athleticism standpoint
1: and and there are players like marcus morris who isn't perfect Perfect, but could fill some of that with Morris. I'm guessing his price tag is going to be low enough where they could maybe split that and get another depth wing using uh, more money than they would have on the uh, the taxpayer level, which they're probably going to be using on something else anyway. Or sorry, yeah, uh, the, sorry
0: the room mid-level Apologies. um you know Thaddeus Young could be interesting uh, you know he his shooting obviously is a question mark but defensively I think he, he would be a great choice to guard some of these guys that uh, I don't think would take up that whole 17 million uh, Jamichael Green there are players who who fit into that uh, and maybe you can even get multiple players that could just be depth pieces maybe close games for you might give you some of the production that Crowder gave you but then you're losing favorites who's probably probably in a vacuum a better player than whoever they're going to get on the free agent market but the problem is of course he's really a center and they got Rudy Gobert there uh a big part of why they're able to be good though is because Derek Favre is a such a good second unit center losing him it would definitely be a, a blow and as much as we talk about centers being easily available finding someone who can get a few minutes next to your starting center and then also play off the bench you know they're not going to do that probably for the room exception as a contract so that'll be interesting i mean they have until july 6th to decide on favors so they very easily could just go out on the market see who might be available for the money they have and then if they want to move on from favors or trade them into somebody's cap space so yeah, it would be another option as well it,
1: it's possible that they could have a little bit longer than that it just depends on who has money and when for example like if the atlanta hawks have money and they don't really like the asset pullback i mean i think favors would be a, a really nice piece for them to just have for next year and then they would have full bird rights there, is, there are opportunities like that. Favors is a really good basketball player at a reasonable price. Something else that I want to bring up that I, I think this might end up being salient is that a lot of the issues that we're talking about with the Jazz are more of the 16-game issues rather than the 82-game issues, and I think they could be a damn good regular season team. Like, I, it, 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 yeah, I'm it, still
0: it, concerned about the depth, though. I mean, they've weathered some of these interests. But, like, backup point guard, Hulonetto, Neto, I think he could be fine in that role. Well, and they uh, theoretically, I, I,
1: I, between Neto and x them i think they'll be okay yeah i mean it, that's so the hope. B- believe
0: i mean i think you, you're probably pretty happy if one of those two guys is healthy on a given
1: night right that's exactly what i'm saying it's like if you i, I you, you have to flip the coin twice and, and if it ends up heads both times then you're kind of screwed but otherwise you're probably okay and i, I think that overall though you know that's that is part of the benefit of favors in the regular season then if gobert has to miss a little bit of time or something else and then you can get a depth five really easily mid level no sorry not the mid level the minimum that should be fine but i do i do wonder about how all these things fit together and something else I wanted to bring up with the Jazz with this it's something I talked about in my piece for The Athletic is how this squares up their books so Conley he, he, so basically he has that ETO for 2020-21 so either depending on what happens with that ETO the Jazz have a pocket of money to work with next year probably you know around 18 million depending on what they do with their remaining contracts this year and their draft pick for next year or they could have a lot of flexibility possibly in 2021 when Conley Conley, Gobert, Ingles, and Exum all now hit, as of now, without extensions or anything else, hit unrestricted free agency, which just so happens to be the same year that Donovan Mitchell hits restricted free agency, but because he was a later draft pick, his cap hold is only $15.6 million. So, theoretically, either one of those could be a window to change this team around, though I agree with you, I would rather line up that player this year if you can do it.
0: Anything else strike you about Utah on the floor? This I guess one other point I would make is that Utah has had incredible success getting Mitchell and Gobert where they did but they really don't have much to show and also they they deserve credit for pulling O'Neal just from absolute nowhere getting a rotation player there but I mean their main pick in 2013 Trey Burke Dante Exum at number five in 2014 Rodney Hood is no longer there although he was part of the Crowder trade so they did get a little bit of value from him Tony Bradley is a relative washout I guess Grayson Allen was part Part of this trade as far as memphis was concerned tony jones actually reported as we can kind of turn to the asset play here that allen's emergence didn't he have like 40 points on the last day of the season or something am i remembering that right i just like a completely meaningless game i think he did that'd be hilarious if that's what got this deal done but tony jones saying that uh allen's emergence such as it was
1: so so yeah he did score 40 on the last day <laughs> of the year against <laughs> uh, against the clippers who i presume also didn't oh no the Cl- and, and the jazz lost that game because the, if i remember utah had nothing. To to play for and the Clippers may or may not isn't it crazy that that was only two months ago, but it feels like a lifetime ago?
0: Yeah, I think by the time that game had started, the Clippers were locked in. At
1: the yeah, I, that, that's what I remember as well. So yeah, that would be that would be pretty funny. But
0: but, but Tony Jones reported that uh, Allen's emergence gave Memphis a little bit more what they're looking for, because as we turn to the asset play aspect now, Jones said that back in February, the Athletic offered two first-round picks and Ricky Rubio and other expiring contracts that would have given uh, Capra. Relief uh, to the Grizz, and I don't know whether Allen was included in that. Potentially, uh, he's not an expiring contract, so maybe not. Or whether he didn't have uh, value to Memphis, or also I would guess that the protections were made a little bit more favorable to Memphis, uh, uh, and specifically to shunt this likely into the double draft, unless it's a pretty high pick uh, for that that second pick. And they also know exactly where Utah's pick is now at, at twenty three. Maybe there's someone that they like in that range. Well, in, and, and in also draft.
1: Utah's pick is probably. Better now because the trade didn't happen
0: yeah that that's a reasonable point as well there so uh and jones said that the jazz also wanted to hold on to dante exum i i mean i i being one of the bigger exum stands of anyone when he was first drafted with all the injuries in particular and considering he's making nine million a year if they had to give up additional comp- now i'd probably rather hold on to exum than grayson allen but if they had to give additional draft compensation to hold on to exum or like let's say if it was exum
1: or jay crowder yeah
0: no i mean that's that one i mean you would clearly rather hold on a I mean, that that one is obvious so who knows i mean that's a a, it's a lot of these discussions you know it's not entirely clear you know what the alternative was um but i mean this is a pretty good haul for memphis wouldn't you agree
1: i would and could look at it from a few different time perspectives here could be when mike conley signed the contract when he missed a vast majority of last season due to that achilles tendon issue and you know the heal the the surgery and all that the the bone that was putting pressure on it all that kind of stuff and i mean it's a lot of money for mike conley and so from memphis's perspective you know he's not as much of an additive because memphis is not at the place in their success cycle where Conley really he elevates them certainly but not you know not really in a way that is particularly useful and especially now that they got the number two pick and John Morant and so basically they unambiguously got Conley was treated as a positive value contract I would agree that he's positive value though I do think it was a little bit muted and by getting a draft pick this year a a pick in a future year and there's also some uncertainty with the Jazz in that 21-22 season because that's when all those guys hit free agency and also Grayson Allen I'm not it sounds Sounds like I'm not as high on him as either the Jazz or the Grizzlies. That is not a huge surprise to me because his game doesn't exactly speak to me. But still, getting all of those pieces for Conley, and of course the massive flexibility financial savings, that is significant. And we don't know necessarily what other offers were on the table, but it wouldn't surprise me if this was meaningfully better than some of the other stuff, especially because Crowder and Corver could potentially be flipped into additional assets at some point between now and the trade deadline.
0: Yeah, also because this trade was done using Utah's cap space, they're able to keep Corver as a non guarantee. Sorry if you said that already. uh At 3.4 million out of his 7.5 million. Uh, had it, they had to match salary, they might have run into a situation where they had to guarantee Corver to make the trade legal because he counts at different amounts uh, incoming and outgoing uh, for Utah if it, he's non guaranteed. But yeah, the, those guys definitely, I, I think, uh, would have some. Corver telling Mark Stein that he wants to play not only this year but for a a year after next year which makes sense when uh you know you by playing this year you could probably get 7.5 million uh the savings aspect for Memphis is huge here I mean they were looking at after filling out their roster and and bringing back DeLon Wright perhaps at I'm surely they wouldn't have paid the tax but being you know a more expensive team I think for a lot of teams that aren't high revenue which Memphis is not going to be this year that region between the cap and the tax of about 20 million that really matters for their actual profitability when you consider the revenue sharing and stuff like that. So now they'll have $13.8 million in cap space. That could grow to $20 million were they to move on uh, from Wright who has a $7.6 million cap hold. This should give them room to kind of play the long game with him should they want to try to bring him back at a reasonable price that's appropriate for a 27-year-old who can play either guard spot but probably isn't a starter but a a useful player. They also, uh, with Jonas Valanciunas opting out, with the idea that he may want to return there this can give them some room uh, to bring him back and not have to spend a bunch of money so it's a win for them there I mean where where they are as a team right now it didn't make sense for them to be a team that's you know spending up to like right up to the tax Uh, just didn't make sense for them financially with a team that's not competitive
1: well and, and this also has a an important component for the 2021 season because then Chandler Parsons money CJ Miles, if they still have Jay Crowder you know they have a lot of money coming off the books then, and that means two things. One, Memphis could just have a bunch of cap space that year. They could use that to do any number of things, sign guys, acquire players by trade. But then the other piece that it does is it theoretically opens the door for the Grizzlies to take on multi-year contracts in exchange for their expiring contracts. Now, the asset price there is going to be complicated. I actually, I was I was talking with a fellow writer earlier today, and I, was, I realized that there's a piece I need to write about this idea, but it opens the door for Memphis that I don't think was necessarily there beforehand, and because it's probably going to take them a little bit of time to turn this boat around. So, you know, doing some asset plays and all that along the way, it doesn't really come at a cost for them in terms of the the present, and then it can maybe build for the long term. And speaking of the long term, I think that's the other really interesting component of this is Memphis's existing obligation to the Boston Celtics.
0: Yeah, and this is part of why keeping Conley was never realistic for the Grizz, because that pick now is top six protected next year they have a decent chance now of holding on to that pick certainly with the new lottery rules i mean they would have to finish with either the first or second best record to be guaranteed to keep that pick and i don't see them as being that bad we'll see you know a lot of it depends on how good jaron and how good Jot look next year but they do have some like real vets uh, on this team and you can see if they move on from crowder and corver maybe they don't re-sign right it, they could get a lot worse by the end of the season uh, and move into super tanktastic mode, uh you know, shut down Josh, shut down Jaron Jackson. If they've had good years towards the end, uh, and try to keep the pick, I anticipate that they will be in uh, pretty hard tanking towards the end.
1: Yeah, as a point of reference here, let's say that, and I'm not predicting this at all, that they ended up with the fourth worst record. Memphis would have about a 19 chance of losing the pick, thus you know, a pretty significant chance of keeping it. But that that tells you the incentives of like you know, just being a little bit worse to make to make even more sure that you keep it. But then there's also the decreased value that it's not as guaranteed if let's say you have the third worst record that you're going to get a top pick
0: yeah and who knows you know Allen will have a, his chances here this is a team that's a, a little bit light on shooting they also have cj miles uh, as a vet who maybe uh, could end up getting flipped but it, i think the the rebuild is going pretty well here in memphis so far and, and i applaud them for finally doing what needed to to be done i didn't think that they really got much of value for gasol I and mean, they got a contract that i didn't particularly like in Junis. they must have liked it a little bit more because now they're he's opted out and they're apparently working towards a new deal we'll see if that comes to fruition and then right who you know now is relatively superfluous in their future plans uh, with the addition of Morant for Gasol but they did incredibly well with Conley who's you know a better player than Gasol at this stage certainly uh and for all of our clucking about how they are screwing it up they should have traded these guys a long time ago they should have traded them in seventeen eighteen, 18 uh although Conley wasn't healthy uh, at that point they should have traded Conley at the trade deadline next year no they actually probably got more for him surprisingly and part of the reason for that uh, as Zach Lowe reported was that some other teams that were sniffing around maybe more so that than utah was uh the pistons didn't want to give up two future firsts uh and if the pistons had agreed to that it probably would have been reggie jackson going back which would have been bad salary uh and the pacers wouldn't give up two first rounders and aaron holiday in a deal for conley either we'll see where those teams that uh, end up i mean you know i'm not sure conley pushes detroit much into a, a higher echelon in the east necessarily and uh i have no idea what that franchise thinks thinks of itself now after their complete destruction by the bucks uh, in the first round so and there was even thought that the celtics could be sniffing around now and that they still have an army of picks including three in this draft so i think that maybe provided additional impetus for utah to get the deal done uh and that's probably why you might say that memphis got a little bit more now than they would have uh, at the trade deadline because there were more teams involved
1: well and it is interesting that in it, arguably in this case and in the anthony davis or Circumstance, both of both negotiations that it seems like happened in the regular season with these same teams that there was a greater sense of urgency now even though both those teams were eyeing potential playoff runs i mean that's what the, the lakers were looking at you know if they had potentially gotten ad then and obviously utah ended up going to the playoffs without conley but because of i think it's probably because of the increase in competition and also just the external factors the lakers missing the playoffs and utah getting knocked out dispatched by Houston, and this could be another one of those ripple effects of the way the seating turned out. Maybe if Utah gets a better gets a better matchup in the first round and makes it out, I think they're still looking at Conley. But maybe the asset return for Memphis is a little bit tamer.
0: I think I'm I'm about done uh, on this trade for now. I, you got anything else you wanted to bring up?
1: No, I think I think that's pretty good. We could move on to the other trade that happened. This is actually it's it's interesting <laughs> because of the timing. I I always am compelled by. Tra- that happen before we really know anything about who's going to be available and that's what happened here so Miami traded a conditional second round pick I'm guessing it's it, it might be I don't know if it's a fa- actually I, I don't want to speculate whether it's a fake second or a real second and cash in exchange for the 44th pick in the draft which the Atlanta Hawks have they the Hawks acquired it in a previous trade and the, the Hawks still have a bunch of picks but what I'm interested in is what the cash return was and what inspired both of these teams to make this move this early I believe the Isaac bonga trade was kind of like what became the isaac bonga pick happened kind of like this too where a team thought their guy was going to be available and just like pulled the trigger a day early
0: well and i think that pick came from philly it was 39 last year and philly had a, a bunch of picks as they do this year actually uh, i think they have 33 and 34 this year but this trade is limited by the amount that Atlanta could take in which was 3.2 million the heat had 3.4 million to send out but uh you would imagine that this trade would be done this league year. no reason to wait you've got uh, an impact your cash for next year wouldn't really make sense at number 44 to spend more than the, the 3.2 million uh so it, it's probably right around that number maybe a little bit less uh, we'll probably find out about that soon oh, uh kevin o'connor quick interjection yeah, ahead, sorry.
1: ira winderman has the terms of the second and it's more favorable for the hawks than i had thought they miami because miami is out so many seconds i kind of assumed it had to be a fake second instead it, it looks like it is going to the hawks unless it is in the bottom five so basically they had previous Done a fake second with Cleveland for that year, and this is the real second. So, this is from if the pick is 31 to 54. 55, sorry. So, probably going to convey to the Hawks.
0: All right, excellent. uh So, Kevin O'Connor had a good piece on on the ringer here in which he said that the Mavericks are considered the favorites to land Al Horford. Pretty good fit, you would think, uh, with Porzingis. Both those guys have an inside out versatility. uh Horford will provide some defense. I mean, that'll be a really nice defensive front court, especially behind some of the guys uh, that the Mavs have in particular Luca on the perimeter now there's certainly a desire to take a step forward this year is Horford on the same timeline as porzingis and Doncic, maybe not uh and especially if they go out uh, more than two years then Doncic's extension will have kicked in so it'd be hard to re-add salary but this is kind of a use it or lose it year uh, for dallas uh, in terms of the the salary as well porzingis likely getting a raise uh, to his maximum and as of now dallas has right at 30 million or so in space uh, including some of the cap holds for guys that they want to keep and you would think that the vast majority of that would go to horford and we'll see whether it's a a four-year deal uh, or not the number uh had been floating around in the four-year 100 million dollar range for him i I forget where it was publicly that i saw that stein had that yeah thank you um so the mavs certainly have the ammo to beat that horford is 33 but if he wants to go there and he's still really good and he could be a good good leader for uh porzingis and for Luka Doncic. although his leadership didn't keep the celtics from imploding from chemistry standpoint last year so I've always as usual I I have a little bit of skepticism of how useful this leadership stuff really is but he's a good vet for sure so that would be really interesting if he's there but they'll have other suitors too sorry yeah they'll
1: have others he'll have other suitors too it's also bizarre in a way that the I while I like the Horford fit that it also comes on the heels of what looks like a long-term deal for Dwight Powell that just paying all three of those guys at the same time is is weird because of where the league is going and you you can play a maximum of two. Two of them at a time and I think in the modern NBA you're probably getting closer to one I mean Horford and Horford and Porzingis you can do together but like Horford and Powell just seems yeah super I, I, I
0: mean I, I, although you know I will say this with the demise of the Warriors potentially I think two ish lineups are going to come back into vogue yeah very uh, well and, could be. and I like it for Porzingis because against less physical matchups he could be the center and you have Horford guard on the perimeter and then if it's someone who's really going to post up hard, Horford has shown a really nice ability to defend it in the post you know against say like an Embiid for example and then you would have still Porzingis as an off-ball guy so I think those guys can work really well together it just depends how long Horford keeps his mobility and then obviously both of them are great shooters so and uh, Horford can make plays uh, out of the DHO game uh, off the pick and roll. um So I mean, it's
1: yeah, it's it's more the Powell part of that than the other stuff of it. And also, oh, yeah. I had completely forgotten about Moxie Kleba, who I also really like, and w- is restricted. And uh, yeah, like I said.
0: maybe this means Kleba could be gettable now in restricted free agency. But yeah, I mean, this whole Powell thing, especially if they're going to get Horford, just makes no sense at all. uh You know, all right, fine, if you're going to bring him back for four million a year or something uh, on an extension, by all means. But I, I suspect that anything that he'd agree to is going to be more than that but going forward he's 10.3 million this year and then it uh, goes beyond. But we're getting into off-season preview territory for Dallas which we still have to do at a later point O'Connor also noting that Houston attempted to trade Chris Paul directly into the Knicks cap space for little in return that offer was rebuffed and also Knicks related uh Darius Garland had a workout uh, with the Knicks today uh, as we talked about on yesterday's program but New York remains locked in on R.J. Barrett as we suspected I'm not sure what the point of having him in there was but it doesn't seem to have changed anything and uh this you, this thing in Oklahoma City you thought was interesting
1: yeah I mean they've taken on and and signed a lot of big contracts over the years and Jake Fisher reporting uh, kind of expanding upon something that had previously been been brought up about that Oklahoma City was looking to shed salary and what Fisher added to the conversation was some specific names and the names he included as being and I quote all very available are Dennis Schroeder not surprising Andre Robertson not surprising Stephen Adams more interesting still not all that surprising because he's paid a ton of money and Oklahoma City has some there's some logistical challenges with with any number of those guys especially Adams because he makes so much money but this is the consequence of trading Carmelo Anthony who was an expiring contract and yeah there and and instead of treating that as a salary dump and instead getting back somebody who makes significantly more money than Carmelo Anthony did is oh crap now we have to pay all these guys
0: yeah and and it would be rather amusing if they gave up a first in dumping Carmelo and then also taking back Schroeder and then had to give up a first to dump Schroeder uh, the very next year you would imagine that Robertson though would would be their first choice in terms of who to move on from all right you want to talk a little bit about uh, the draft here and and just uh, our big board we looked at a total of 12 players this year five of them were mini scouts so i wouldn't consider us as reliable to the extent we even are reliable uh, on those but through those guys in there uh because there were some of the mini scout guys that i actually liked better than the guys who were mocked higher that we went through so uh tier one zion williamson i assume that he is there by your by himself for you as well
1: yes tier two uh, john ja morant by himself i'm guessing no argument there
0: yeah no i'm uh i i, I wouldn't say i'm surprised because you don't really like anyone that much below him you i think i thought i was higher on jaw than you as was, that was is that correct. accurate yeah yeah i mean i think i, I think, I think the mar-
1: for me the margin between jaw and and the next tier is probably closer than you but it's still uh, still certainly a tier for me
0: okay here's where i think it'll be different tier three i got two guys uh darius garland and kobe white
1: i am genuinely surprised that we have the same thing first of I'm all so,
0: yeah because it seemed like you were lower on white in
1: particular. I I am so I originally so basically I originally actually had every single other player we did so after the first two in one tier and then I I switched it without changing the order because point guards provide more value even if they're not starter quality you know like just the idea that kobe white even let's say he doesn't end up being a starter he can still play 20 minutes a game can key your second unit and the, the energy and the speed he plays in transition i think there's real value to that and and so that raises the floor of those guys and also i think a, a part of it was just realizing that i i felt more firm on the other players being in a tier and that when i added in garland and white and i i couldn't separate garland and white i didn't think that was fair and then i'm like well I don't want to have Kobe White and let's say Jarrett Culver in the same tier. So then it became, I need to draw a line somewhere. And that was the most fair line to draw. I thought about doing a three and a 3.5. And I'm like, that's just bullshit. That's just backing out all that kind of stuff. If you're, if they're a different tier, they're a different tier.
0: Yeah. And I do think ultimately I've come to the conclusion that I think Garland, I I like him a little bit better than White because of that isolation scoring package. But I I really love the transition push that, that White provides. I think that's underrated. And, you know, if Garland is a better shooter than Kobe White, you know i think that a lot of people seem to believe that uh i mean it's pretty interesting that darius garland was the number 16 overall recruit played five games and now he's basically like the consensus number four pick on a lot of people's boards uh
1: well yeah i mean that, that there's there's an argument out there that if garland had played more of this season that he would have dropped i mean just because yeah because he didn't get the chance to hurt himself like somebody like let's say cam reddish did
0: so here's my tier four now this is where it's going to get controversial you'll notice already obviously and i'm sure this is no surprise to those who listened to our rj barrett scouting report i mean he he's the most controversial omission here that i'm sure to not even be in the same tier as garland and white and it's just, and i'm sure that even for years people are going to be like you know rj barrett might average 20 points a game for the next next year and you know much like demar Derozan, the guy to whom he is often compared i think he's going to put up some points and he'll put up some assists and at the same time be a guy where and and you people will look back and be like all right well deandre hunter uh, is averaging you know nine points and four rebounds how do you have him in the same tier as rj when rj is averaging 20 points well it's, uh, rj is a floor raiser in, in my opinion well, obviously who knows whether this is how it'll work out but rj is a floor raiser in my opinion he can't be the engine of a great offense due to the shooting and the, the lack of athleticism. And certainly of course you know, he's working with drew hanlon and drew hanlon who's uh you know never shy with the media insists that he's helping to fix uh, some of his issues like always going left and his form on his jump shot which you know i've noticed too where he's kind of got his hand more towards uh, the top of the ball he, he, they're trying to fix that they're trying to fix how he really turns his body way uh to the right with his left foot forward on his shot so you know i mean who knows you never know what the jump shot is. and to me if rj gets a really good jump shot now all of a sudden he, he starts looking pretty good i'm just not a believer in that especially with the 67 free throw shooting so i I mean i'm not like dead bang set that rj is like gonna suck or anything but i you know i think of him as just floor raiser relatively inefficient you know best maybe becomes the best player on a bad offense but hard for him to scale up and play on a good offense necessarily due to the the predictability with the left hand the lack of a jump shot and kind of the average athleticism and well and the the
1: idea that for me uh, so I'll, i'll kind of this will kind of be a lead into my tier four i have hunter above barrett and part of the reason is that i think hunter is more malleable he can be a part of more successful systems because you know his jump shot is slow but at least it can get in there whereas barrett like if he's your third option that because teams unless unless he gets to the point obviously where teams have to defend and have to respect his jump shot then i think it starts to stagnate your offense whereas hunter you know he can he can slide in there and he's also a, a meaningfully better defensive player at least at this juncture so there are you know it there's always an eye of the beholder element of this like there are teams that that for me and that's why players are in the same tier that could and should take Barrett over Hunter but for me thinking of the league at large I think there are a lot of there are a lot of teams that just would be happier with Hunter I think he's a better fit for them so that's why I have Hunter 5 Barrett 6
0: so uh, my tier four, uh did you get, those are the only guys in your tier. Oh four? no,
1: my tier four includes every single other player we covered.
0: Okay, okay, all right. Well, well, so I, I broke it up a little bit. uh My number five overall, starting off tier four, is uh, Sekou Dumbuya. Ooh. Um, I was just giving respect number one to just the fact that he's able to be on the floor on a decent European team. Statistical translation, KPs translation, so thought he's pretty good. The really young age, the fact he doesn't even turn nineteen uh, until December, and I saw just some overall smoothness in his game i think his jump shot can get to be a weapon in time and he seems to turn the corner from a an athleticism and an effort standpoint although there's still work to do, be done there uh, i think his feel is a little bit better not great but still better than some of the other guys who are a little bit below him but i, I mean it's really mostly respect for what he's been able to do at the age that he is uh, at a higher level of competition rj is my number six i, I still have him above deandre hunter though he's also in this tier because while i am concerned about whether he's going to be able to efficiently create shots and for all the reasons i talked about there's also some respect that has to be given for a guy who you know hasn't even turned 19 yet and is able to create the number of shots that he was able to and perhaps you know he does have the instincts of a primary ball and like the type of player that he is if he gets to be good at those things it can be extremely valuable so i you know i think there is i've come around to the idea that might be a little bit more upside for him than uh, we talked about it initially uh, just due to the level of production i think it's unlikely that he reaches that due to all the issues we discussed but that th- that needs to be talked about and then uh rounding out tier four for me Bull bowl assuming that he's healthy again i haven't seen any medical reports on him and this is one of those ones where his medium outcome is probably below a lot of these other guys but because i just value the upside of what he can bring and some of the special skills that he has that uh, i that's more of a personal philosophy thing than you know here's the median outcome for this guy I just think the ceiling is high enough i i believe in drafting for ceiling and then deandre hunter uh closes it out for me yeah he's older but it, he's at least a, has a jump shot that you can believe in which you know the rest of these guys don't necessarily uh as far as some of the wings below him
1: yeah and and for me like i mean i have all these guys in the same tier it's it's very close and i wavered on yeah. on, on numerous ones but i'll just run through the full order and then you can go through yeah the rest and,
0: of and i i would put was very close to putting hunter in the tier below with some of these
1: other yeah i i was and i my closest battle within this was probably barrett versus hunter because like you i I see that i see that potential but for me what's very what what put me back to where i kind of started with barrett with barrett behind hunter is the idea that if it doesn't if the main parts don't work i just it it it, he isn't as valuable of a player even and they're both wing size so it's not like you have that sort of a, a differentiator so hunter barrett i already said seku is is Third in this group, seventh overall. Then I went reddish over little, and it could easily, you know, easily be the other way. I just I like Reddish's building blocks more, and so I ended up going in that way, but I like Seku's motor and some of his physical tools there. And so it wouldn't surprise me if any one of these players was significantly ended up significantly better than the others. I just thought Seku had the best chance, then reddish second, little third. Then I went with Bull Bull. Behind that, I agree with you that the upside, I just don't see his ceiling as quite as high as you because he's so thin. In, and we, we talked about that in the mini scout then concluding it the last two guys Jarek culver who can provide some value I, it's it's interesting to me that people seem more confident in how his game is going to translate to the nba than i am and then i had jackson hayes below even though i wouldn't be surprised i actually kind of expect jackson hayes to be a better basketball player than Jared culver positional positional scarcity is a really big thing and just the idea that i i am i think i'm more willing to i think i see more possibility for me being wrong on culver and in the positive way than with jackson hayes so i wanted to respect that upside difference a little bit
0: yeah i'm pretty similar i nine through 12 i had little reddish hayes and culver last and you know i mean he's mocked at number four right now by espn to the pels although obviously that pick is uh quite in play but to summarize uh, the issues with him you know i see him as similar to barrett but is good in pretty much all areas uh, uh, particularly the jump shot I'm really just not a believer in that at all uh, for him and you know really the only skill of his that I thought was going to be a plus is his passing you know that that's probably the only thing I look at it's like oh he's going to be solidly above average for his position in the NBA and and clearly I could be wrong there's plenty of other people who seem to like him a a lot more than I do a lot of people who view him as someone who can step in and contribute immediately I don't see it that way at all you know you can listen to to the 20 minutes that we went on about him for more uh, on that. And certainly, of course, these are the only 12 guys we looked at. Quite possible, of course, that we would have liked other guys more better below these guys had we only uh, had time to look at them. But we have to follow the NBA. And so we really only kind of have uh, three weeks or so to do this scouting. So hopefully, uh, this is a useful exercise for you guys. And uh all right, I think we can pack it in here. Anything you want to talk about before we go?
1: My Conley piece is up at The Athletic. You can check that out. And I mean, we'll be listening for on Thursday night, Friday morning, depending on when you listen, we will talk about the draft and what could end up being a fireworks heavy night, even though it's sometimes when it's not the greatest draft class that actually leads to more trades just because teams aren't as zealously keeping the picks that they have.
0: Well, Well, and think of how many teams too have like a large number of picks as well.
1: Yes. So I, I'm pretty excited about it and and now having a little bit more background on some of these guys, like I'll oh, we'll have a you know, we'll have a stronger opinion on, on certain things that fall and you know, it seems like the big trade dominoes for the for this part of the process, you know, A D getting traded before draft night, which is something that I think we had both predicted that he would trade be traded on draft night, and then Connolly already going that takes some of the sizzle out of it, but still should be pretty damn fun. All
0: right, and also we're gonna be posting our draft boards truncated as they are uh, on Patreon, patreon.com slash in the Rue, and i would encourage you to subscribe there because uh you know we already uh, i don't know if we did it quite yet but uh ben should have them up shortly our, our projections of the cap situations for the jazz and the grizz after the trade and we'll be trying to get uh, as free agent signings happen cap projections out to you guys uh pretty much uh, as fast as we can uh, as time goes on here so we'll talk to you all tomorrow night when the draft will be in the books till then